Hebrews 12 is where we're going to be. Let's start in verse 12. Hebrews 12, 12. We'll go down to 17. It's the word of God. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. By it, many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for bringing us together yet again to bring us around your word. Father, we thank you that this is a privilege and a right that we get to do in a country like this to gather together openly and freely to come around your word. I pray that we don't take for granted that. I pray that we realize and understand that, that gathered around the world, there are many people gathered in secret and hiding, fearful, but they are doing this anxious and hungry to hear a word from you. So Father, I pray that we don't neglect our freedom, but we lovingly come to your word today, not looking to hear something from a man, but directly hearing from your word and asking, inviting your Holy Spirit to speak into our lives. I pray that for the saint who's been following you for decades, that you would change them, that you would mold them more and more to the image of Christ. God, for the person here today who does not know you as their savior, the person who does not know your son as their Lord, I pray that they would come to that saving knowledge today. Whether it be the sinner or the saved, you have something for every person here today. And I pray that we know that you have brought us here for a purpose, for a reason. And I pray that we don't neglect your word. In your name, amen. All right, so we've been journeying through this book, Hebrews. And one of the big points that this pastor has been trying to make as he's been going through there, especially here in this chapter 12, is that they have to actually get to this place where this faith and this, this majesty that he's talking about, how amazing Jesus is, actually becomes something where the rubber meets the road. And for those of you in the room who are like, Man, I wish the Bible just had some lists of some things I'm supposed to do and some things I'm not supposed to do. Today is your day. Chapter 12 is your chapter. So let's get into it, kind of make sure we understand what's being said and go from there, all right? Hebrews 12, 14. He says, strive, that's an action, strive, go after, chase, peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one can see the Lord. Remember last week, we talked about holiness. Holiness is not just living a pure life. Holiness has two sides to it. It is positional holiness that is granted to us when we put our faith, hope, and trust in Christ. He looks at us and he goes, you are holy. By the faith that has saved you, you are holy. But then there's also this progressing holiness that says, okay, yes, before God, you do stand justified and holy, but there is a process of this holiness you now have in you coming out of you. And he says, this is the holiness I'm calling you to pursue, to chase after. And then from there, he says, without this holiness, no one is going to see God. He's saying, if you want to see God show up in your life, you want to see the presence and the reality and the proof that God is moving and active through your life, then pursue this holiness inside of you coming out of you. It goes on from there. We got about halfway into this verse last week. 
He says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble by it many become defiled. Again, to recap a little bit of last week, make sure we have a good foundation to go where we're going this week. When he says, obtain the grace of God, in the same way that holiness has two aspects. It's this progressing holiness and this positional holiness. Grace has two sides as well. It is the saving grace that made you holy. It is God's saving grace that in a moment of your faith, your hope, your trust in Jesus, that is the grace that came into your life and forgave you of your sins so that you can stand justified just as if you'd never sinned before that God. But there is also this sustaining grace. This is the grace that gives you the courage if you're a middle school or high school in the room to be able to hold fast to your faith through middle school and high school. There's a sustaining faith that if you're single right now will walk you through singleness or allow you to journey through singleness until Jesus calls you home. If you're married in this room, there's a sustaining grace that will keep you married in this room. This is a sustaining grace that gives us the power to live this holy life. He goes on from here and he says, Okay, we get this grace, and now let's see that. These are all connected to this see it. See that no root of bitterness, we're gonna talk a lot about that today, springs up and, oops, I pressed the button on accident. Let's go backwards. Wow, man, I did something wrong. Y'all help me, I messed up. This was totally my fault. Go back to that Bible verse. I did something, there we go. One more. And that's it, hey, way to go. Thank you guys for fixing me. Um, See to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And he says, by it, many become defiled. So he's warning them against some things. And then he goes from there. He says, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. And this guy Esau, what he did is he sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit this blessing that came with that birthright, he was rejected for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So let me explain to you what's happened so far in this chapter. So we get a, um, a zoomed out approach. I know we do a lot of like leaning in and knowing the Greek words, knowing what comes before what, but let me just make sure we get a bigger understanding, a zoomed out approach of what's happening so far in this chapter. What this pastor has done to this church, now that they have this understanding of who Jesus is and who he's calling them to be, he gives them the list of some things to do. First, he gives them what I would call the holy to-do list. And this starts right at the very beginning of this chapter. The first and most important thing is he says, look to Jesus. This is not step one, that you do this and then you move on to the next step. This is a thing that you do. And then while you're doing this and through the power of doing this, you continue to do the other thing. So I'm looking to Jesus and I throw off the weight and sin. I'm looking to Jesus and I run this race with perseverance. I'm looking to Jesus. I'm lifting up my hands and strengthening these weak knees. I'm looking to Jesus. I'm making straight paths for my feet while looking to Jesus. I'm striving for peace and holiness. Okay, so these are the things he's saying. This is what we do while we're looking to Jesus and is the sustaining grace of God that gives us the power to do these. If you go and you try to do these things, if you try to do the list out of your own willpower, effort, and energy, you will end up worshiping yourself and you will completely miss Jesus. He says, if the grace of God, however, intersects with your activity and ambition, and it is from that empowering grace that you go after doing these, you will see your life lived out for the great grand purpose that it was really created for. Now, he doesn't just give them a to-do list, he also gives them a don't list, the holy don't list, and this is what we're really gonna lean in today. He says, see to it or guard against anybody failing to obtain this grace of God. Don't let a root of bitterness ride up. Don't be sexually immoral and don't be 
unholy. And these are the primary ones. We've talked a lot about the to-do list. Today, we're gonna lean into the to-don't list. The first thing I need you to see though, and this is where it all really hinges on, is verse 15. And there's no coincidence that verse 15 is right there. If you're looking at the passage, 15 is right there in the middle of the ones that come before it and the ones that come after it. There's a point in doing that. He's saying there's no chance of you doing all these things above this verse without the grace of God. And there's no chance from you not doing all of these things below this verse without the grace of God. To put it in a simple way, I'd say this. It is the sustaining grace of God that will enable and empower us to accomplish the to-dos. That's verses one through 14. And it's the same sustaining grace of God that will enable and empower us to abstain from the to-don'ts, verses 15 and 17. So you gotta get that before we can now dive into the to-don'ts and understand why they're so dangerous, why they can hurt us so much, and the real danger in them, all right? So let's talk about these three don'ts, the three don'ts of don't let a root of bitterness come up, don't be sexually immoral, and don't be unholy like that guy Esau, all right? Let's navigate through the first one. First, he says, see to it, and this is all kind of connected, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up, causes trouble, and by it, many become defiled. So this root of bitterness is a thing that he's trying to talk to his church about. And he's specifically saying this to a group of church people, which we gotta just kind of all be honest for a second. We've met some bitter people in our life, haven't we? You know some of them. Some of you brought them with them today. They showed up. They came with you in the car. They were bitter on the way here, all right? And if you're like, I don't know any bitter people, that's you, that you're it, you know? <laughs> and, and let's be honest here. We gotta be honest, we're at church. Aren't some of the most bitter people you've ever met churchgoers? Some of you have just started coming back to church here recently. And the reason you left is bitter people. Bitter people that told you to do better, do better, do better. And so you left bitter. So this bitterness, he knows, because he's inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, that this is something that can really cause trouble in a church, this, this thing that is bitterness. Now, let's talk about why people get bitter. Why do people get bitter? Uh, two main reasons, there's probably some more things that are attached to this. But the reason people get bitter is they get something that they don't want or they don't get something that they do want. Let's explain this. People get bitter when they get something that they don't want. They get pain. They didn't want pain. Uh, I didn't want to get a flat tire. I didn't want to get punched in the mouth on the subway. Like pain happens, we get bitter. And that can be physical pain, emotional pain, or even spiritual pain. Pain happens and we get bitter. We get angry because somebody has inflicted something on me. Another reason why people get bitter when it's something that they don't want is they get rejection. Somebody tells them, you're not good enough to work here anymore. Or you're not good enough to be married to anymore. I'm, you're not good enough to be uh, someone who I would date. You're not good enough to make this team, to be in this band. You get rejected. You get something you don't want. Another reason people get bitter they get lied to. Love is not really the most important thing, in my opinion, in relationships. Trust is. Because you can say you love me all you want, but if you love me, you'll tell the truth. And I can have all sorts of love for you, but I'm gonna have a really hard time being in a really good relationship with you, even if I love you a whole lot, if I can't trust you. And somebody gives us lies and we get bitter. 
Another reason we get bitter is we get manipulated. And manipulation has this way of multiplying bitterness. Because you don't just get bitter because somebody manipulated you. You get bitter because you realize how long you let them manipulate you. And you go, you manipulated me for all those years. You wasted this amount of time of my life and you let it go on so long. Another place that people give us something that makes us bitter is they steal something from us. That's a stealing of an innocence. That's a stealing of property or possession. It's a stealing of a dream or a future. When these things happen, we get bitter. The other side is when we don't get something that we do want, we get bitter. We don't get that attention from that certain group of people or that certain table we really wanted to sit at in high school. We didn't get attention from the people to get that invite. We post something on social media and it's kind of like the same stuff that everybody else posts that everybody likes and I post it, but I guess my kids aren't cute enough and nobody liked it. We didn't get the attention we wanted. We thought we had a great answer to that thing at small group and people just kind of moved on really quick from that thing we thought that was so good. Or maybe we wanted control over somebody and they didn't give it to us. We wanted to try to help them, but we really knew what we wanted, but we didn't get it. And so we get bitter because we weren't able to control and confine and keep them in what we wanted them in. Another thing that we want, but when we don't get, we get bitter is love. That's natural. We were created by God who loves and we were created to love. And when we don't get that, we get bitter. Another thing that we don't get and become bitter is when we don't get invitations, all right? So you go on social media and you see, oh, they look like they're having fun. They're at brunch. And it's her, her, and her, and her. And I'm friends with all of them. Why am I here eating soggy Fruit Loops and they are eating croissants with honey drizzled over them at this fancy brunch place with lipstick on. And then you go, well, I know what, I'll, I'll show them. I'm, I'm friends with all of them. Why don't I get invited? And then you figure out, you do your investigative work. <laughs> who set this thing up? And you figure out who set that thing up and you invite all those other people but her. And you go to a fancier brunch, all right? You, you don't even do brunch. That's for losers. You do dinner. Like, we're doing it nice. We're going to real. We're going to Buckhead. Like, we're doing this real thing. And you make sure to get the selfie with everybody in it. And you better believe you're posting it. Because when we don't get what we wanted to get, we get bitter. A lot of this goes back to one of the main things we all really, really, really want makes a lot of us bitter is we want approval from other people. We don't get that approval or attention or affection. We feel that rejection and that makes us bitter. Now, everybody in this room, you've been hurt, okay? Everybody in this room, you have a reason to feel some bitterness, some justifiable bitterness because somebody has done something to you, whether in grand scheme or big scale or, or something on a smaller level but over a repeated period of time for a long period of time. Everybody in this room has reasons to be bitter. And maybe even reasons to be better with church people. But there is this thing that God has called us all to do. And it is to forgive. And the key, before my eyes go to what they did that I'm bitter about, is understanding what Jesus did to make me different. What Jesus did for every single person in this room. Because you've been offended. And you've been sinned against. But you have also been someone 
who has sinned against someone. And you in this room, no matter how much has been done wrong to you, you are also someone who has done wrong. And the key here in all this is forgiveness. I wanna talk to you about forgiveness for a second. If you can't extend forgiveness, then you may not have really had forgiveness. You may not really have it. See, at the beginning of this passage, he starts out and he says, pursue peace and pursue holiness. And the reason he's inviting them to to pursue peace and holiness is because you actually have been given peace and holiness by God. And as someone who has received peace from God, and that peace is not just God going like, peace, man, we're good. It's going, you were my enemy. You were against my father, but Jesus, while we were still enemies with him, he came and he died on a cross for us. He was actually treated like he was the enemy of God so that we could be treated not just as friends of God, but like sons and daughters of God. And his love for us and his forgiveness of us is what covers our offenses and our sins. And is no way, shape, form, or fashion that we'll ever see him unless we receive that forgiveness. Now, when you really understand the magnitude of his forgiveness and the magnitude of your sinfulness, if you've really seen that for what it really is, you won't be withholding forgiveness anymore. The more and more I follow Christ, the more and more I realize that I am more sinful than I dare, ever dared to imagine. But at the very same time, I'm more loved than I ever dreamed to hope by a God like him. Now, listen, I know forgiveness is really hard because there are some people in this room who you've had some unimaginably broken, harmful, painful things done to you, said about you, physical things that I don't even wanna mention here that have been done or you've been taken advantage of. And I will tell you two things that I know about forgiveness. One, forgiveness is the antidote to bitterness. And two, while I don't know everything that you've been through, I can tell you that I've been through some stuff too. I'm just, I'm just, I'm saying this not as someone who's going, in theory, this helps. I've had some terrible, awful things done to me and my family that make it really, really hard to forgive. But I can tell you that your unforgiveness is not hurting them. It is hurting you. Now, when you talk about forgiveness (laughs) and you're all like, okay, I know I need to forgive somebody. Well, when God lays that on my heart, I'll do it. (laughs) Let me tell you this. Forgiveness is never a feeling. If you're waiting to feel like forgiving somebody, you're not going to do it. (laughs) It is an act of the will. And if you're waiting to forgive somebody until you feel like it, I'm telling you, you never will. How many of you just been like, you know what, one day I was just like, you know what, I just really want to go forgive them. Like that doesn't happen. <laughs> we say these things. If God lays it on my heart, then I'll go and do it. <laughs> Which again, I, like you, I have a gold medal in spiritual gymnastics in my head. And I, these are how we spiritualize these things that we don't want to do, right? And we, we got to admit this. This is the stuff that Christians do in their brain. We, we try to Godize it or Jesify it and go, okay, well, if Jesus lays this on my heart, then I'll go and do it. No, the fact that you're even saying that is proof that it is on your heart already. Go and forgive the person, okay? And listen, it is always gonna be an act of the will. You're never, I shouldn't say never, rarely, if ever, will you ever feel like it. 
Oh, again, I don't think we have a feel-like-it Savior. I know there are things that he went through down here that he did not feel like doing. I don't think he felt like having nails driven through his hands. I don't think he felt like having a crown of thorns pressed into his skull. I don't think he felt like those things, but those are the things that he went through because he knew that forgiveness would pave the way for reconciliation. So, you know the person that God's calling you to forgive. And my prayer is that you would free yourself from having to feel like forgiving and that you just go do it, okay? Now, he's talking about this root of bitterness that comes from when somebody's offended you. Now, roots, are they out where everybody can see them? No, where are roots at? Below the surface, all right? Which means that even in a church like ours, okay, where we're pretty good, we're pretty unified for the most part, there even in our church like this are some roots of bitterness, okay? And even in my own life, and maybe even in your own life, there are some of these below the surface roots of bitterness. And so this pastor is gonna talk to them about the dangers of these roots of bitterness. I wanna try to talk to him too, because he's specifically talking to people who are part of a local congregation. In my years of church experience and the things that I've kind of gathered and collected from working in church, I think there are are really two types of church bitter people. I wanna try to hopefully walk you through them. There's the bitter religious and the bitter rebellious. There's the bitter religious person and the bitter rebellious person. All right, I wanna talk to you about these. And again, I'm gonna do my best to be an equal opportunity offender because in this room, there are people who are gonna be over here and your tendencies are gonna be more towards being a a bitter, get bitter religious person. And there are gonna be some of you in this room who your propensity is to be more of a, I'm gonna get bitter because I'm rebelling kind of person. I'm gonna try to do my best to explain that. I'm gonna start with the bitter religious person. All right? So when we talk about being a bitter religious person, what in the world does that look like? Well, here are some of the things. It looks like pride. It looks like arrogance. It has a propensity towards legalism and self-righteousness. It makes presumption and it is usually entitled. Ironically, the person who is bitter and legalistic and religious is oftentimes the person who is most insecure of their salvation they are oftentimes a person who is still trying to work themselves into having God owe them one. And they're trying to make up for the insecurities they have on the inside by on the outside showing everyone how moral, how pure, how right, and how smart and wise they are and religious they are on the outside. They're usually one of the first people to brag about those things. They want you to notice those things. And the, the scary truth is both of these, when you get bitter in this, and we all have some tendencies here, but oftentimes this is someone who can be a narcissist and have narcissistic personality tendencies. And narcissists, they operate out of what's called imperative thinking. This is what they tend towards. Imperative thinking is thinking that is black and white and concrete. Imperative thinking goes, you have to do this and you don't do that. You must do this. You should do this. This is how it's got to be. They operate on imperatives. And these are the type of people who in their mind, because they operate on imperatives, they think they have it all figured out. They've got 
and, and this is in the church context. They've got parenting figured out. So they're the people who will tell you, you should not let your kids do that. You should not let your kids watch that. You should not let your kids participate in that. You should not let your kids go to public school. They've got parenting all figured out. They've got politics figured out. They will tell you everything you ever need to know about who to vote for, what to vote for, and all those types of things. They've got all that figured out. They got what the church should do and shouldn't do all figured out. They've got the Bible all figured out. They've got end times all figured out. They've got the mark of the beast figured out. And on top of all of those things, they have also got what you should be doing all figured out. You've met these people. Now, what makes them go to those links and communicate those things to you that they figured out is those are some of the very things that makes them feel secure, makes them feel important. It makes them feel more and more like they matter and they have some control over some aspects of their life. Now, in and of that, of that self, that's just pride. That's a whole nother separate sermon. But here's where the bitterness comes in. And again, some of you in this room, you have tendencies towards this. And I'm telling you, the longer you stay in church, probably the greater propensity you have to swing this way. Where bitterness comes in is when that person has those things figured out and they long to share those things that they figured out with you and then you hear those things that they figured out that are for you and you disagree with them. Now, when you disagree with them and you say, I don't see it your way, then what they begin to do is gaslighting, manipulation, and control. And they say things like, well, because you don't agree with my interpretation of scripture, now you are falling out of the favor of God. And because you don't agree with me, God's gonna judge you. And it's really not an attempt to get you to live your life according to scripture as much as it is an attempt for you to live your life according to their interpretation of it. Now, when you're around these people, you will very likely hear words like this. God told me. And this is someone who's got a, got a bitter root that will spring up in a church and cause trouble and cause many people to become defiled. Now, when someone says these words, here's what you gotta understand is actually happening. When someone says God told me, what they're claiming is they are a prophet. A prophet, in all scripture, a prophet is someone who God speaks to to tell other people stuff. His revelation. I've told you guys this before. I, I'm not much for the prophetic gifts still. I think that is something to, to approach very cautiously because here's why. Do you know how many times a prophet of God can be wrong? How many times can a prophet of God be wrong? Zero. You can never be wrong if you're a prophet of God. Okay? Now, this is why when you come into an interaction where you disagree with somebody who's telling you, God told me, this is why. And you're honestly, you're wasting your breath to try. You will never win that argument with them because if God told them, is God ever wrong? No. That's why some of you, 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 you almost can't even have a relationship with that person anymore. Because to argue with them is to argue with God. And it's a lose, lose. And this is where defilement comes in. This is where factions get created. This is where 
people go and try to get other people to believe and to understand things the way that they do. And then they get that little rally together and then everybody else is judging the people who didn't agree with the thing that that was their way. But here's what you gotta understand. And again, we're all susceptible to this. We gotta understand this. We think taking God's name in vain is when you, you know, are walking through the living room late at night and the lights are off and you step on a Lego and you say, blank, dang it. Okay, and that is a side part of taking God's name in vain. But this right here is really what the commandment is talking about. Taking God's name in vain is going, God told me that this is what you need to do. And it's, and it's extracurricular of scripture, but it's what God told me. It's, it's spiritual manipulation and it's leveraging God's name to manipulate and control someone else. And again, that's in and of itself a really atrocious thing, but the bitterness comes in when somebody else in the congregation goes, you're off. Okay, so that's the root of religious bitterness, all right? Now let's talk about rebellious bitterness. And again, the same way we talked about last week, how there's the people who really wanna leverage their positional holiness and go, I don't need to live a holy life, Jesus is my holiness. And then there's the practical, progressing holiness, the people that go, no, you gotta live a holy life. This is kind of the same place where these two fall. The rebellious root of bitterness comes in when people say, I can do what I wanna do. The Holy Spirit will guide me. I don't need you to say anything to me. They rebel against any church discipline, any church authority, anybody who would try to speak some sort of truth in their life because they have become so grace that they have completely chunked any truth out the window. This is a person that uses grace as a license to sin. This is a person that cheapens the grace. Again, grace is amazing and grace is free, but grace was not cheap. Jesus paid a very high price for our forgiveness and to continue to neglect the life he now calls us into, not just as people who see him as savior, but people who realize you are in fact Lord of my life, then they get bitter. And most of the time they're getting bitter at the people who were the religious bitter. And so where the religious bitter person, they have no problem going up to him and be like, listen, right here, man, I'm judging you. (laughs) They have no problem. They will tell you, like I'm judging you. The rebellious bitter person, their favorite line is, and you see if you've ever heard this before, only God can judge me. And they use that as a license to say, you can't speak anything into my life unless you're God. So in the way that the bitter rebellious or bitter religious person says, God told me, the bitter rebellious person, their line is, if God tells me. If God tells me, I'll stop drinking. If God tells me, I'll change who I spend time with. If God tells me, I will break up with them. If God tells me, I'll go mend that broken relationship. If God tells me, see the bitter, rebel, or the bitter religious person where there are blanks in the Bible, they love to fill them in. And that's where they add on rules and add on regulations and they take, here are the things that God said. Well, I found some blanks in the Bible where the Bible wasn't necessarily clear about that thing because it didn't even exist when the Bible was written, but here we are in 2024. Let me, where the Bible gives some blanks, let me fill it in as much as I possibly can. The bitter religious person loves the blanks and they love to fill them in. The bitter rebellious person loves the blanks and they love to leave them open and they fill them in however they want to with freedom, with I do what I want. The Bible didn't say anything about that. So what that means is I can do whatever I want. 
the bitter, rebellious person is more often than not the person who in a congregation becomes a stumbling block to people who are weaker in their faith. They leverage their freedom to maybe ha- have, a, have a corona after cutting the grass. Meanwhile, the person who shows up at their house is a recovering alcoholic and they refuse to say like, I don't, I'm not gonna get to know you or learn things about that. I'm just gonna continue to leverage my freedom because my freedom, how dare you impose upon my freedom? That's the bitter, rebellious person. Both of these are so incredibly detrimental to a local congregation. And what I want you to understand is we have propensities towards both. An older saint in our congregation came up to me after the first service. He says, um, I, you talked about the bitter rebellious and the bitter religious, and I think I might be schizophrenic because I think I'm both. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 you're not schizophrenic. Like all of us in the room, you're gonna have certain things that you are very conservative on. You're, you're very like, you, you hold tight to, to the vest on those things. And then you're gonna have other things in your life that you could give a little bit more freedom on. That's how we all are. And here's what's crazy. is some of the things that you're loose on, I'm tied on. And some of the things that you're tied on, I'm loose on. And what we have to be dead set on is not our opinions on the gaps, but we have to be dead set on what does this actually say? And we have to figure out what are the things in here that we're gonna be close-handed on to say, there's no wiggle room in these things. And the things that are outside of those things, where there is freedom to be allowed, we can go forth in wisdom and in clarity. And again, the whole point here is I'm not gonna leverage my legalism and let that be a stumbling block to you. And I'm not gonna leverage my freedom and let that become a stumbling block to you. We're going to walk through this in humility. That's the key here, humility. Not becoming the church that just goes, man, we're gonna rebel and, and everything else. And you know, you know, sooner or later, we're gonna be flying you know, all sorts of crazy flags and we're all affirming the wrong things and we've just basically thrown all of scripture out of the window, but we're also not gonna be the church that goes, if you don't do X, Y, and Z, then you are not saved. And if you don't X, Y, Z, then you can't be a part of us. And if you send your kids to public school, we're gonna do everything we can to make you feel terrible about it. And if you vote a certain way, then, then you obviously are from Satan. And if you think a certain way, you're obviously from Satan. If you have any doubts, you're obviously from Satan. We're not gonna be either of those. We're gonna be a church that trusts that the revelation that God has given us in here will get us through whatever the world brings. And, and the powerful part of this is, this is this is where humility really does come into play, where we can allow forgiveness to reign in between us. One of the stories that I love that we're gonna to get to kind of see come to fruition today is today getting baptized is a third generation, a third generation, a third generation MCC kid, part of the um, two out of the three, you're gonna see up in the water getting wet, two out of the three original members of MCC, family connections, okay? So the Hyatts and the Potts, part of two of the three original families that, that came and started MCC, which is crazy even to think about. And these are families who have been here for 33 plus years a part of this this group of people. And these are not just people who just happen to be here, but these are actually people who have done a lot of life together. I don't know if you've known this or noticed this, you probably have, about doing life together with each other. If you do life for 33 years together, and then you don't just have a husband and a wife, but you have a husband and a wife and grown kids and grandkids, you know what's gonna happen from time to time? Some offenses. And, and, and here's what I would say. There are gonna be plenty of opportunities over 33 years worth of a relationship with people for bitterness to be able to get root. 
But one of the things I love about what you're getting ready to see is this is what it really looks like when a group of people who call themselves the body of Christ can actually be unified together for the sake of seeing here in a second, Brittany, whose former last name was Potts, getting ready to be baptizing Ansley Hancock, who's from the Hyatt line. And this is just a beautiful display and, and, and visual representation of what happens when we don't, at least for these two families, refuse to let a root of bitterness raise up between us. And we're gonna stick it out at a church. I mean, the fact that they've gone to one church for 33 years, honestly, like that deserves a round of applause. Like in, in today's day and age, that's amazing. So yeah, give them one. Yeah, right, thank you. <laughs> I know they'd glory to God, so don't feel like you're glorifying them or their families. I know both of those men of God would, would glorify God and, and, and say all the glory goes to his providence in their life. But my point is, that's what it takes to not allow that to grow up and defile people. Now, when it comes to this defilement, all right, did the defiling, and again, that word defile means stain or blemish, to make dirty. When the defilement comes, and this is what he says this root of bitterness does. This root of bitterness will cause trouble and defile many people. Now, true or false, we as Christians worry a lot about the world defiling us. True or false? True, all right? How many times has this pastor over the course of his whole entire time talking to the Hebrew church here, warned them about the outside world defiling them? None. When he warns them about them becoming dirty and defiled, it's from taking it from each other. Saying, this is not a people on the outside defiling you. This is people on the inside. This is what y'all are doing to each other. He said, this is what bitterness does. Is it, is it causes you to throw mud on your brother in Christ and throw mud on your sister in Christ because they disagree with something that's going on. And, and this is why I believe this pastor is warning them against this because this gospel is something that was not supposed to stay in these walls. It was supposed to spread out into communities. But here's what happens. When the world is looking on at us and they go, look at those Christians just slinging mud all over each other because of the little things that they disagree with. They can agree on Jesus. They can agree on the gospel. They can agree on the Trinity. They can agree on salvation, but they're arguing about drums and they're making themselves look like idiots to a world looking on. And the, and the onlooking world goes, that's not, that's just dirty. Like that, they, if they're honest with their own rebellious heart, they go, there's no difference between them and me. They lie about people, they back talk about people, they're gossiping about people and they're making, they make everybody else feel less than. Like, I don't, I don't wanna be a part of that. So what we gotta understand is when that defilement happens, it's not just something that we see in here, that the world looking in here, hoping to see some group of people who are different. Listen, we're getting ready to go on an election cycle. I don't know if you knew that, I know you know that, okay? Here's what we can be. We can be a church that proves, no, there actually is this group of people who can go through one of these without going, everybody has to agree with me. There actually can be this people, group of people who in a congregation like ours, and again, if you need to, look around, who can have people from all sorts of different pigmentation come and sit under the same gospel and go, we're one. 
We can be a church that can prove that that can happen. Now, again, it's not unity for the sake of unity. It's not unity that's just uniformity. Again, we're going to come in and go, we're going to keep Jesus as a main thing. And that may mean that some people on one side may have to shift some stuff. And one people on some other sides may have to shift some things. But what we're going to do is go, okay, to my, my, my people of color in the room, what, you, what hopefully doesn't happen is we get enter into an election cycle and you go, well, let me go back to that black church until you know, this thing ends. And then you people who maybe from a different side of the aisle who would go, well, Trent better say this, 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 and this, and this. And if he doesn't, he's woke. Go, well, I'm gonna go find somebody who's gonna stand up on stage and scream and sweat and tell people they're going to hell if they don't do a certain thing. And then, and then again, we both, we split the aisles and the church split again. But to go, okay, no, 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 no. We're gonna keep Jesus the main thing. We're gonna stand up on truth. The places where there are policies that go against God's word, we're gonna lean into those. I'm gonna do everything I can, the closer we get to election cycle, to be able to preach how to vote biblically to you guys as a congregation. I'll do everything in my power to be able to do that. But I refuse to do is to see biblical truths be hijacked for the sake of personal preference. Because I, I believe and I love this bride of Christ that he has called me to pastor and shepherd way too much to be able to let that root of bitterness come up, rise up, cause trouble, and defile us. Because I know there's a word looking on. There's people all over our county and our community who know about McDonald Christian Church. And I want us to be a true representation of the bride of Christ, a bride of Christ that Jesus would love and long to come back for, one that is pure, one that's unstained, and one that is unified and whole. And as we get ready to receive communion and we get ready to see uh, this, this beautiful little girl be baptized and the band comes back up to lead us in this song, here's what I want you to know. That what you have been made in Christ, which is one, you've been made one with Christ, is also what you have been made together. And so regardless of what side of the thing you would swing to, my hope and my prayer is that as you hold communion in your hand, you would realize that there was a high price paid for a root of bitterness to be weeded out of the church. That there is in this holy communion a representation of his body broken, split apart, so that we as a body could be one. And that also accompanying that is this juice that represents blood. And the amazing thing about this, this thing that would cause some of the hardest stains to ever get out is actually the most cleansing agent ever possible. That his blood is actually what cleanses us and forgives us of our sins so that we can allow that bitter root, or bitter root to not grow up because we now go, no, 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 I'm forgiven and I don't claim to have it all figured out. I don't know how close you think you are to Jesus, but the people that walked with him for three years straight still missed some things. When the tomb was rolled away, there was nobody sitting at the tomb counting down from 10, going 10, 9, Eight, all right, here he's coming, he's about to resurrect. No, even the people who were closest to him, who walked with him, talked with him, understood who he was, they misunderstood some things about what he said to be true. And so my hope, my prayer, is that we come into this place with humility, 
understanding that our God loves us, our God cares for us, our God has reconciled us to him and he's made us holy, which means different. And now he looks at us and goes, okay, guys, it's not hard to look around. Even if you're in middle school, you can look around in middle school and you go, those kids are divided out that way. Those are the jocks. Those are the band kids. Those are just kind of the, I don't know, they're into that thing. Those are the skateboarders. Those are the whatever. Those are those kids that are all, those are the nerds. There's all these things. And we divide everybody out. And it gets in high school, and you do the same thing. You grow up and you do the same thing. We divide everybody out. And what, what the Bible says when it says you are holy, it goes, no, 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 you're different. And part of that difference is no, because I have made you one with me, you can be one with each other. And that's what's so different and supposed to be so different about a local church. As many who are different can come and be one. But again, that's not under the umbrella of peace treaties that will sign with each other. That's under the umbrella of the blood written peace treaty between God and mankind. And it is from that peace that we'll experience it down here. And so I invite you now to taste and see what this peace is like, to allow this peace to reign in you, that you know that you have been made at peace with God and you go be able to be one who gives peace to other people. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your love and your grace. As we commune with you in these moments, I pray that it would do something so big in our hearts that allows whatever roots of bitterness that may have taken place in our church to be completely pulled up from the dirt. And that we would be not people who go and look for bitterness in other people, but that we would be people who first and foremost see the times and the places and the ways that we are ourselves bitter. And Jesus, I thank you personally. I can't speak for everybody else here, but I thank you personally that you chose not to remain bitter with me. The wretched sinner I was. But you came and you sought after me and you forgave me and you called me to something better. And so as we commune with you in these moments, I pray that your Holy Spirit begins to well up inside of us and that we would be a spirit-led church on the spirit-led endeavor that is your kingdom coming here on earth, here in McDonough, as it is in heaven. And Jesus, we will, after we receive communion, I cannot wait to praise, to accompany the angels in heaven as we celebrate seeing a, a little child fully surrender and put their hope and their faith and their trust in you, Jesus. Thank you for the the story behind the story and the reminder that you are a God who knows exactly what he's doing. In your name.